At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hooray for Hollywood. It's time for the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. We'd like to welcome you to Los Angeles, the legendary city of angels. It's home to palm trees, movie stars, swimming pools, and the American dream we know as Hollywood. It's a place of shadows and sunlight, mythology and murder, and has always been home to more cranks, nutcases, killers, and lunatics than you'll find just about anywhere else in the country. In season five, we're walking the mean streets of the big city, taking a look at the history, mystery, spirits, scandals, and sins of Hollywood, that glamorous bit of Los Angeles that's not so much a place these days, but a state of mind. Each episode of the new season, which started with episode 70, if you don't want to miss anything, will reveal another sordid Hollywood tale of crime, corruption, murder, and of course, ghosts. And these episodes may not be suitable for all listeners, so listen at your own peril. You've been warned. So pack up your suitcase, grab your roadmaps, load up the car, and get ready to hit the road with this new episode of American Hauntings. So quiet on the set, please. Many of Hollywood's older hotels are much like Hollywood itself. They are aging and slightly faded, still trying to hang on to the shimmer of glamour that they enjoyed in days gone by. In times past, before you could find hookers on Hollywood Boulevard, the hotels of Hollywood were luxurious pleasure palaces, where the stars of the silver screen went to dine, dance, and rendezvous with secret lovers. Like other parts of Hollywood, a few of the hotels have seen facelifts in recent years, which have stirred up memories and spirits of the past. Not all the ghostly stories and wicked scandals are products of recent times. Many of them have been around for years. You see, to paraphrase one of the greatest bands of all time, the Eagles, Los Angeles is filled with hotels where you can check out anytime you like, but it seems you can never leave. Historically speaking, the first hotel in the city was the Hotel Hollywood, which was opened by H.J. Whitley in 1902, before the idea of the area turning into a hotbed for movie stars was ever imagined. It was located on the west side of Highland Avenue and was fronted on a dusty, unpaved road that would eventually become Hollywood Boulevard. In less than three years, Whitley was compelled to add an additional wing onto the place, and it continued to expand. It was, after all, the only show in town. Eventually, it covered the entire block, and Whitley installed a wide lobby, a chapel, a music room, ballroom, and 125 guest rooms. The Hotel Hollywood soon became the most prestigious lodging house in the region. And when the movie colony began to grow, it attracted luminaries like Louis B. Mayer, Irving Thalberg, Jack Warner, Wallace Reed, Gloria Swanson, Greta Garbo, Paula Negri, Rudolph Valentino, and many others. In fact, for many years between 1903 and 1956, when the hotel was raised, it was the social center of Hollywood. There was a continuous stream of movie stars that arrived at the hotel daily. Many of the great silent movie actors made their homes in the Hollywood Hotel and attended the dances held every Thursday night in the ballroom. It was considered the place to be seen. To identify where certain people regularly sat and dined, the hotel had stars with the names of celebrities painted on the ceiling above their tables. Those who didn't live in the hotel lived nearby, and the close-knit community made the place their second home. Soon after the Hotel Hollywood opened, an eccentric millionaire spinster from Ohio, Mira Parker Hershey, who was then staying at a hotel in Los Angeles, rode out to see the new hotel in Hollywood that was being advertised in local papers. She became a guest, lured, the legend goes, by the cuisine. 
particularly the apple pie. She fell in love with the hotel and bought shares and eventually became the sole owner of the place. In 1909, Carrie Jacobs Bond wrote her then famous song, The End of a Perfect Day at the Hotel Hollywood, which had inspired the tune. Five years later, opera star Geraldine Farrar was welcomed to Hollywood with the town's first white tie and tails party in the hotel's famous ballroom. The Hearst newspaper's famous gossip columnist Luella Parsons made the hotel's name synonymous with glamour when she broadcast live over the radio from the lobby during the height of her popularity. By the 1920s, the hotel was so connected to the Funk Colony's high living that it became a target for the tabloids and the scandal rags of the era. The film magazines were correct in assuming that a lot of, quote, hanky-panky was going on at the hotel, and the antics of the stars always made for good gossip. Nevertheless, the Hotel Hollywood attempted to maintain at least a bit of respectability. When John Barrymore climbed into the room of a female companion from the garden, the management ordered cactus to be planted under the windows of all ground floor rooms to dissuade others from trying the same thing. When that proved ineffective, all the ground floor windows were nailed shut. In 1919, a desk clerk demanded that film star Rudolph Valentino produce a marriage license before he could go upstairs with his new wife, Jean Acker, on their wedding night. Well, as it turned out, he needn't have bothered. That night after he led his bride to her room, Acker slammed the door in Valentino's face, locked it, and wept that she'd made a terrible mistake. That was the end of their marriage, although they weren't divorced for three more years. Three years during which Valentino would become one of the most famous screen lovers in history. Mira Hershey died in 1930. And in the early 1940s, developers acquired the historic hotel, planning to tear the place down and redevelop the block. They were only halted because of World War II, having to wait until the release of building materials. By the 1950s, the hotel was run down and faded, only a relic of its former glory. The developers were adamant that renovating and restoring the property was out of the question. Many of the remaining residents of the hotel had been there for years, even decades. Just before the building was torn down, writer Ezra Goodman interviewed many of them. One old woman who had lived in the hotel for 35 years was depressed at the idea of leaving the place that she loved so near to the end of her life. I don't want to go to heaven, she said. I just want to stay here. The Hotel Hollywood was finally raised in August 1956, destroying a piece of history from Hollywood's early days. But if the old hotel had ghosts of film stars from days gone by, those stars would be smiling if they learned what replaced their beloved hotel. In 2001, the Hollywood and Highland Entertainment Complex, which includes the Kodak Theater, the official home of the Academy Awards, opened on the site of the former Hotel Hollywood. The Oban Hotel, now known as the Hotel Hollywood, an homage to the city's first hotel, was built in 1922. However, the small three-story peak structure didn't have its grand opening until five years later. It stands on Yucca Street, one block from Hollywood Boulevard and around the corner from the Knickerbocker, which we'll be talking about in a future episode. For many years, aspiring actors stayed at the Oban as they struggled their way to the top. Among the many guests were James Dean, Clark Gable, Fred McMurray, Glenn Miller, Paul Newman, Orson Welles, and many others. The rooms were simple, a bed, desk, and chair, lamp and dresser, a ceiling fan, and a private bath with a toilet, sink, and shower. It wasn't much, but it was luxury for those just starting out. Of course, times have changed, and the hotel was completely remodeled in 2002. It has all the amenities guests could possibly want now, along with at least two ghosts. One of the lingering presences in the hotel is that of a Hollywood hopeful named Charles Love, a failed actor who eventually settled for a prop manager's job and as a double for silent film comedian Harry Langdon. On February 15, 1933, after a fight at the studio, followed by a drinking binge, Charles returned to his cramped hotel room, wrote a farewell note to Langdon, and then shot himself in the head, instantly ending his life. He was dead, but, of course didn't leave the hotel. Rather than stay behind in the room where he lived and died, though, his spirit has become trapped in the hotel's basement, on the stairs leading down to it, and on the landing at the top of those steps. He's usually encountered as an intense cold spot and an incredibly foul, pungent stench, but his apparition is sometimes spotted as well. Charles doesn't haunt the building alone. 
There is also an unidentified woman, believed to be a former guest, who wanders the hallway on the second floor. She's been seen by scores of guests over the years who often mistake her for another customer. When she turns and walks into the room through the door, though, they realize they've just seen a ghost. At the beginning of the 20th century, Hotel Alexandria was the first luxury hotel in downtown Los Angeles. It cost more than $2 million to build and was named after John Alexander, the man who owned the parcel of land on which the hotel was built. Construction on what would become a world-class hotel began in 1905, and it opened its doors one year later. It was an instant success. The hotel was touted as fireproof and featured a massive lobby with tall pillars made of Egyptian marble, mosaic tile floors, and stained glass skylights. It was frequently sold out and became a popular place for the wealthy to stay when they were visiting LA from around the country. Newspaper reporters would often stake out the lobby hoping to catch a glimpse of the hotel's famous guests, which included people like Winston Churchill, Enrico Caruso, and Presidents Taft, Wilson, and Theodore Roosevelt. The hotel also attracted the film colony crowd after they moved west to Hollywood. It was at the Alexandria where film pioneers D.W. Griffith, Mary Pickford, and Max Sennett stayed while making movies for the first time in Southern California in 1910. It wasn't long before other film directors and producers from the East Coast followed them, and film stars like Charlie Chaplin, Rudolph Valentino, and many others frequently frolicked in the hotel. By 1920, D.W. Griffith was living in the presidential suite, and future Ben-Hur star Ramon Navarro worked here as a singing waiter. Elevator operators occasionally pitched and sold movie ideas to producers, and the lobby became so crowded with aspiring filmmakers and stars trying to sell blockbuster movie projects that one of the hotel's large Persian carpets became known as the, quote, million-dollar rug. The hotel also became an important social hub for professional boxers and athletes, with heavyweight champions like Jack Dempsey frequenting the hotel to socialize with the movie crowd. It was at the Alexandria where D.W. Griffith, Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks formally announced the creation of their independent company, United Artists, forever cementing the importance of the hotel in movie history. After the hotel's original owners passed away, the John Strauss Company of Chicago took over the hotel in 1919. They also financed a new hotel, The Ambassador, on Wilshire Boulevard, which opened in 1921. By this time, many of the film industry guests who used to frequent the Hotel Alexandria had moved to Hollywood and Beverly Hills, and the hotel entered a slow decline through the 1920s. Shortly before the Wall Street crash of 1929, the Strauss Company sold the hotel. The new owners went bankrupt, and it closed down in 1932. Five years later, it was sold to Phil Goldstone, a retired silent movie producer who dreamed of restoring the Hotel Alexandria to its former glory. But it never happened. He sold the hotel at the end of World War II. In 1954, it was updated and used for boxing exhibitions for a short time, but when that novelty wore off in the mid-1960s, it was sold again. This time around, the hotel was given a multi-million dollar facelift, and this time the property was refurbished with a Victorian theme, and several suites were named in honor of well-known silent film legends like Valentino and Chaplin. The second floor ballroom is named after King Edward VII, although... Oddly, he never actually stayed at the hotel. The two women who were hired to give the place a new look were Nancy Malone and Lisa Mitchell. They named the rooms for famous former residents, covered the walls with golden red wallpaper, laid down Victorian-style carpets, and furnished it with period-type furniture. It's been suggested that it was this connection to the past that awakened the ghosts of the old hotel. You see, ghosts are very easy to find at the Alexandria. Nancy Malone was the first to see the hotel's famed Lady in Black, but she wouldn't be the last. Even so, Nancy was hanging pictures in a hallway in the early morning hours when she spotted a woman in an old-fashioned black morning dress, wearing a black hat with a veil. She was standing at the other end of the hall and began walking away. Nancy remarked that she couldn't see through the woman, but that she, quote, wasn't solid either. The woman walked a short distance and then vanished. 
She continues to be seen today, but no one knows who she is. Some say she's a former resident of the hotel who died here while mourning a loved one. Stricken with grief, she barely noticed her own death and continues to wander the hotel, still in mourning today. Do ghosts from different times see one another as they haunt the locations they once knew in life? Well, we don't know, but if they do, then the spirits have a lot of good company at the Alexandria. In addition to the Lady in Black, there are a number of other phantoms connected to the hotel, which has more than its share of strange deaths and suicides. Some people have reported phantom waiters in the Palm Court area, ghostly dancers in the second floor ballroom, and the ghost of a little girl who plays throughout the hotel. Those staying in the hotel's penthouse have reported seeing a dapper man dressed in 1920s clothing reading a newspaper while sitting at a table, while others claim to have seen shadowy figures in the parking garage. But the most haunted spot in the hotel may be the Valentino Suite. After arriving in Los Angeles in 1917, Rudolph Valentino stayed at Hotel Alexandria for two weeks while he was still an unemployed actor. His friend and fellow actor Norman Carey, who later starred in The Phantom of the Opera, invited Valentino to stay with him in his suite at the hotel. During that time, Carey introduced Valentino to film industry people who frequented the Alexandria. Over the years, there have been many strange happenings in this suite, but whether they are connected to Valentino, who is... As we'll hear in a later episode, the most well-traveled ghost in Hollywood, well, that's unknown. Whoever lingers here likes to slam doors, knock mirrors off the wall, and mess with the lights. Author Craig Owens, who did a great book about haunted Southern California inns and hotels called Haunted by History, did a photo shoot in the Valentino suite, during which the bathroom door slammed shut by itself so hard that it shook all the glass in the suite. He and the crew knew that the wind hadn't closed the door. Early in the day, they tried to close that same door, but couldn't because of warped tiles on the bathroom floor. They ended up leaving it open and shooting around it. There was no logical reason that it could have slammed shut. Seven of us heard it, Owens later said, and we all jumped out of our skins. Perhaps the most classically haunted hotel in Hollywood is the famous Hollywood Roosevelt. Today, the hotel has been refurbished and remodeled to capture the spirit of its early days, but the new furnishings and decor don't stop the stories of the old spirits from being told. The Hollywood Roosevelt opened in 1927 and was from the beginning designed to serve the new movie industry as a luxury hotel. The most famous movie stars of the day, Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford, helped bring the hotel to life and the grand opening hosted the biggest celebrities of the day. People like Gloria Swanson, Greta Garbo, Will Rogers and Clara Bow, among others. The hotel remained popular for many years and then in 1984 underwent a restoration. Since that time, the ghosts, they say, have been putting in frequent appearances. The first strange event to be recorded occurred in December 1985, about two weeks before the grand reopening. Alan Russell, personal assistant to the general manager, was in the Blossom Room, where the first Academy Awards banquet was held in 1929. He was sweeping the floor when he noticed an extremely cold spot in one part of the room. He and the other employees who were present were perplexed to find there were no drafts or air conditioners to explain away the chill. Psychics who have investigated the hotel believe there is a man in black clothing who haunts this room, although who he may be, no one knows. On that same day, another employee, Suzanne Leonard, was dusting a mirror in the manager's office. She looked into the glass and saw the reflection of a blonde woman. She turned quickly around, but there was no one behind her, although the reflection remained for some time in the mirror before it faded away. Well, it turned out that the mirror once hung in Suite 1200 of the hotel, the suite frequented by Marilyn Monroe. Suzanne was the first person to spot Marilyn's image in the mirror, but she wouldn't be the last. Soon others were spotting her too. The mirror was eventually moved to the lobby near the valet stand and then near the gift shop, and the sightings continued. But Marilyn did not confine herself to that mirror. She has since been seen all over the hotel. She's been spotted in Suite 1200 as well as Room 229, another of her favorite spots. Some claim to have seen her in Cabana 246 and around the deck chairs in the pool area where she used to do modeling shoots. But Marilyn is not the only spirit wandering the hotel or the only celebrity ghost. 
As guests began to arrive at the free furbished hotel, the staff was told of other encounters. They frequently heard complaints about loud talking in nearby rooms and of voices in hallways, rooms and quarters that would prove to be empty. Phones were lifted from receivers in empty suites and lights were turned on in empty locked rooms. A maid was inexplicably pushed into a supply closet. A typewriter began typing in the middle of the night in an empty locked office. A man in a white suit who was seen by three different people on two different days walked through a door and vanished. Extra bedspreads that were hung on a rod in the basement began moving on their own, and a little girl was seen playing in the lobby, and she vanished before the eyes of a startled staff member. And there was more. Some employees also reported strange shadows on the ninth floor, prompting many of them to refuse to work on that level. Strange things were especially connected to room 928. Their housekeepers reported cold spots that brushed by them, and others felt a strong presence watching them or walking beside them. One night in 1992, a female guest reported that a man's hand patted her on the shoulder while she was reading. She turned, thinking it was her husband, only to find him sound asleep. Well, room 928 has been most prominently connected with actor Montgomery Clift, who lived in the room for three months in 1952 while filming the movie From Here to Eternity. Clift was said to restlessly pace his room and the quarter outside, rehearsing his lines and practicing the bugle. And some say he still does. On screen, Montgomery Clift exuded an era of vulnerable masculinity that appealed to both men and women alike. Wherever his real life was filled with insecurities that were often too much for him to bear. His gradual deterioration was once described as, quote, the slowest suicide in show business. Clift was born in Omaha, Nebraska in 1920. He grew up the privileged son of a Wall Street stockbroker and traveled all over the world with his family and private tutors. When Wall Street crashed in 1929, the Clifts changed their lifestyle and moved to a small home in Sarasota, Florida. There, Clift tried acting for the first time at the age of 13. He joined a local youth theatrical group and his mother, realizing his natural talent, pushed him toward an acting career. After the family moved to Massachusetts, Clift was able to audition for a part on Broadway. He won the role, and his new career was started at the age of 17. Over the next three years, he played a number of leading roles on Broadway, while members of the film industry tried to lure him to Hollywood. He rejected every offer until he was finally able to get the studios to agree to hire him on his terms. United Artists cast him alongside John Wayne and Walter Brennan in what became one of the most famous westerns of all time, Red River. After that, Clift began to work in other roles and became friends with actress Elizabeth Taylor, who he appeared with in A Place in the Sun. He would later appear with Taylor in two other films, Raintree County and Suddenly Last Summer. He accepted both roles without even looking at the script. He just wanted to act with Taylor. After a two-year hiatus following A Place in the Sun, Clift returned to the movie screen with From Here to Eternity with Burt Lancaster and Frank Sinatra. The film would be nominated for eight Academy Awards and Clift would be nominated for Best Actor. After that, he started the Alfred Hitchcock film I Confess and in Indiscretion of American Housewife. He would not be seen on stage or screen again, though, for three more years. You see, about this time, his personal life began to be plagued by his own inner demons. Despite his talents, he was very insecure. His mother controlled his life until he was in his 20s, and he constantly tried to hide the fact that he was a homosexual, which was a career killer in the Hollywood of the 1950s. His emotional difficulties were enhanced by his rise to stardom. He became an alcoholic and habitual drug user. Soon the booze and pills began to interfere with his work, and during the making of From Here to Eternity, the cast and crew began commenting about his drunken behavior on the set. One night in May 1957, Clift attended a dinner party at the home of Elizabeth Taylor during the shooting of the film Raintree County. As he was driving home, he veered off the road and his car collided with a telephone pole. Elizabeth Taylor arrived at the crash scene and discovered that Clift was having trouble breathing. She forced her hand down his throat and pulled out two of his broken teeth, which were blocking his airway. The accident left Cliff with a broken jaw and nose, a crushed sinus cavity, two missing teeth, which Elizabeth Taylor found, and severe facial lacerations that required plastic surgery. Somehow, he recovered and returned home from the hospital after just eight weeks. He was able to complete filming on Raintree County. 
Clift had other problems apart from his self-destructive personality. He suffered from various illnesses, including colitis and a thyroid condition, the symptoms of which were almost indistinguishable from the effects of alcohol and drugs. When Clift co-starred in The Misfits, which turned out to be both Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe's final movie, Marilyn said of Clift, quote, he's the only person I know who's in worse shape than I am. In 1962, Clift was hired for the title role in John Huston's Freud, and Universal sued him because he was incapable of remembering his lines. Studios were now in the habit of insuring their productions, and Clift's shaky track record made him a liability. He didn't act for three years after that until Elizabeth Taylor got him a part in the 1967 production Reflections in a Golden Eye. Clift was also offered a part in The Defector, which he felt was an inferior film, but he was so desperate to prove that he was worthy of reflections in a golden eye that he signed on. He did all his own stunts in The Defector just to show the studio that he was able to work. On Friday night, July 22, 1966, Clift went to sleep and never woke up again. When a friend entered his bedroom and found Clift naked except for his glasses, he planned to cover him up and leave him alone. He was used to Cliff's drunken stupors, but this time, well, seemed different. Cliff did not seem drunk, he seemed dead. Unable to find a pulse, it turned out he was right. He called a doctor who pronounced that Cliff had died in his sleep. Although many assumed that he succumbed to alcohol or a drug overdose, Cliff actually died from a heart attack. All of his friends from his long career on stage and screen had encountered him once or twice before his inevitable demise and each had a heartbreaking story to tell about the once intelligent and gifted actor who was destroyed by drink, drugs, and poor health. Cliff's life was ruined, but his film work remains the product of one of the greatest actors of the era. And that's how he's remembered today, along with being one of the continued guests at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. sneeze fucking do it now oh yes please <laughs> sneeze into your mask all right thanks for tuning into the american hauntings podcast the show where we discuss history hauntings legends lore and the dark side of american history we are now in season five of the podcast haunted hollywood i'm your co-host cody beck and with me is my co-host author historian crime buff and the founder of american hauntings troy taylor hey how are you what's up man oh not much just the usual so halloween is over halloween's over it is over well i mean you know it's never over it's, in my it's heart. Never, it's, well, it's never really over for us anyway. It's pretty much Halloween all year round. So yeah. here we go. Do you guys decorate for Halloween? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's like this all the time. That's, so. It's so funny because somebody <laughs> asked me that, and I was like, no, this is just my normal. Like, there's like, there's normally a skull sitting yeah, on my, yeah, like, there's you Ouija know. boards everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, palmistry hands. And, you know, right. oh, that's just what the office looks like all year round. Yeah, it's like every Halloween I put stuff up, and then I end up liking it so much that I, just, I leave more <laughs> of it, yeah, up, like, yeah. up just year round. Yeah. This See, if you did that and it was Christmas, people would think you were nuts. Right. But since it's Halloween and they just figure, oh, well, it's just just you, you know, so that's right. It's just how we are. Oh, man. Imagine walking into somebody's place and there's just like Santa Claus is like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That would be Lisa. She would do that. (laughs) If she thought she could get away with this, she was trying to put the tree up. Her Christmas tree up, and I kept going. Oh, no. already after Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm not waiting that long. You know? Oh Gosh. man. Oh. Well, we do have some guests with us today. We do have Lisa and Kaylin. So if you hear any disembodied Giggling voices and, you know, and laughing, sneezing, which we already discussed, no sneezing is allowed. 
Yeah, no <laughs> sneezing is allowed. Oh, uh, well, what's been going on? Somebody was asking me the other day. They're like, um, you know, hey, we want to, or a couple weeks ago, I said, we, we want to get on a ghost hunt or something, but we know that they're done, you know, <laughs> no, at the end no, of no, October. No. And I was like, no, 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 no. We no, have stuff going no. year round. Yeah, we do it all year round. Um, and we've already posted up our winter and spring stuff. We've added ghost hunts for winter and for spring 2021 already. Uh, so, I mean, you know, this has been a... <laughs> This has been a nightmare of a year. Yeah. I think next year will be better, we hope. so. But anyway, we've already got stuff posted. Um, I added a, um, dinner events for the rest of the year. I still have one more, December the 4th. I've got the the Abraham Lincoln you know, Spirit World mm-hmm. uh, dinner in, in Alton. And then after the first of the year, I've got the Bell Witch and the St. Louis Exorcism, and I added a bunch of new stuff, too, awesome. that I've never done before. Um, a weekend, in, uh, or a weekend. <laughs> and, weekend you know, where it's not going to last that long. Uh, an evening in Haunted New Orleans. I'm doing ah. that for Mardi Gras weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah, so Smart. I thought that would be a nice tie-in. Yeah. And then we've got, uh, I've got one on, like, you know, sin- the world's most sinister hauntings and, evil women that you know murders and ghost stories and stuff so sounds yeah great. yeah so i'm excited about the new stuff that we've got coming up and i'm still doing live streams too mm-hmm. one every month um i've got one coming up um let's see in about a week from when this episode airs uh about hh H. holmes the serial killer oh yeah and then in december i've got one on christmas Ghost stories and monsters and disasters and hauntings all related to the holidays. Nice. Uh, I'm also taking part, and I'll have some more details on that later, but I'm also taking part in a a 36-hour marathon um, between Great Britain and here Mm -hmm. of uh, to support or to do uh, fundraising for ALS. Oh, okay. And uh, so I'm going to be doing a uh, a Christmas ghost thing on the 13th, I believe, at noon, November 13th. For 36 hours? No. Oh, no, no. (laughs) My slot's only an hour, but they're filling it in with people from Great Britain and from here. Sure. Uh, Richard Estep, a lot of people that know know him from the conference and stuff, Amanda Woomer. Um, there's Wes Coleman also usually at the conference and stuff. So we're filling in different slots awesome. and so it'll be fun. Yeah. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Cool. I'll post so, some links to that yeah, whenever yeah, we, yeah. well, I'll start getting more. some stuff up next week. I'm sure. Um, they're starting to post stuff now, uh, from the, you know, the people who put it together. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be cool. Yeah. Awesome. And what so, do you, what do you have you know, on the I table? Know, I, because I brought this for you and then I remembered, I don't think we've ever talked about it because Halloween stuff was going on and mm-hmm. we were doing all those extra episodes and stuff for Halloween. But, um, our, the first issue, first edition, I guess I don't really, it's not really a magazine. It's more like a journal cause it's printed like a book. Sure. Uh, but the very first, uh, episode of the morbid curious has come out as we had promised back when we were doing the Velisca season, right. we were going to find a way to use that title, The Morbid Curious. And, and our band didn't and work out. Our band out, didn't so, work out. Yeah. Um, I found out that I am not able to play any instruments <laughs> and I can't sing. So that didn't work. So we ended up using it as the name for our journal. And it's a haunted history, true crime, you know, it's, and we had several I mean, I did several articles for it in our first one. Renee Cruz, yep. uh, Amanda Woomer from Spook Eats, um, a few of our, um, a few of our other, li- actually some listeners. Um, uh, Michelle Hamilton uh, did an, an article. Uh, Trevlin Florence Thomas did an article. Uh, listeners for the podcast. Um, so yeah. Yeah, That's, my dad always claimed he named me after Buffalo Bill Buffalo Cody, Bill but Cody. I think it uh, yeah. was bullshit. But, yeah, well, um, I did. I, like a, I did a little article about his uh, his his constantly moving corpse. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's um it came out, and I think a lot of people have probably seen it on our website. It's only ten bucks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's cheaper than going to buy just like a magazine that they're you're going to so throw away. I mean, this is something that's going to come out twice a year that you can keep. And yeah. this was our October, our Halloween Sawin issue. That's what we called it, our harvest issue. And mm-hmm. then our next one will be out at the end of April or probably mid-April, uh, which will be our uh, our second one for the, we'll, we'll do two a year. And that will be our April issue, um, you know, our wall purchase knocked issue. So, uh-huh. yeah, we're trying to, we tried to find a good way to do it. And right. those two dates seem to work well. So, uh, anyway, um, people, we've been, man, we've been selling it like crazy. Yeah. And it's been great. I mean, I'm excited 
that we could put it out. I'm already looking forward to the, you know, putting together the next one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it looks so, great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun. Where, where can people find that? Uh, they can get it at AmericanHauntings.net. Same place you can find all this stuff I was just talking about. If you just go to AmericanHauntings.net, there are links to get to everything that we do from that page. Um, so, and I'm going to be updating that as soon as I finish the next book that I'm almost finished with. I don't so, get how you yeah. write so Well, much, you know, so. we had a lot of free time yes, this year. And true. so I did a lot of stuff, but you know, this year actually I had a little extra time in October to write because ha- you well, know, yeah, he okay, didn't okay. do quite as many things, sure. but I did do several live stream events for libraries and stuff, which was fun. Mm-hmm. That was fun. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, so I had some extra time, but I'm excited about this book. I made it work. I've posted just a couple of hints to people, but it's called One Night in Washington. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's all I'm going to say right now. Maybe our next episode, I'll talk about it a little bit more. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Well, we've had we've had so many listener reviews and so many so many emails, which I'll get to some of those later. But people, I guess other people have had more time, too. And then October, we get, you know, top of mind sort of thing. And so people have been writing in and leaving reviews. Uh, This first review comes from Jalnine Place. Uh, It's just titled Can't Get Enough. Troy is a great storyteller. I love the stories and discussion afterwards. I just did a ghost tour in New Orleans and can't wait to listen to the guys talk about one of my favorite cities. Keep it up, guys. And then this uh, last review is from Rihanna one exclamation point. I don't think it's the Rihanna, but maybe she doesn't text me back. Um, it's titled "Great Show." Just says main show is awesome, and the Q and A portion with Cody is just as great. And I put that in there selfishly because I appreciate when people like the uh, the Q and A portion. So thank you so much. Um, we are, I think we're just at about nine hundred. Um, iTunes reviews, wow, no which is amazing, and something that um, I haven't I haven't t- even told Troy yet, but um, I was r- crunching some numbers the other day, as I do, and we've officially crossed one million downloads oh, awesome. for this podcast. Um, so, I mean, who would have who would have thought? Um, you know, just a random you know idea that we we came up with. I remember meeting Troy and Lisa at um, a restaurant in Alton, just kind of pitching the idea, and we were just like, yeah, maybe a couple people would listen to it, and then. A million people. Um, so thank you so much for listening. That really um, just really helps my ego a lot, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> Are you ready to dive into Hollywood's Haunted Hotels Part 1? I'm ready. All right. So back in the day, the hotels of Hollywood were luxurious pleasure palaces where the stars of the silver screen went to dine, dance, and rendezvous with secret lovers. Sounds great. Many of them have had facelifts, uh, which we talked about, tend to stir up spirits and things like that. And I like <laughs> the, 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 the hotels. Yes, it, well, not, not the stars. They've had facelifts too. They've but had some work done. Yeah, it's not it's not quite the same. Right, so. and I love the uh, that you had that Hotel California reference in there. Uh, that song, well, you can't well, not put it, it in. Of course, but yeah. that song terrifies my sister. Like Cassidy hey, can't listen, listen to it. I, I, I can rem- I'm sure it probably wasn't the first time I heard that song, but I remember hearing it when I was maybe like. I don't know, 11 or 12. Uh-huh. And, you know, I always listened to WLS. That was the big rock, you know, top 40 radio station. Uh-huh. And it was the middle of the night. And I always used to like to re- leave my radio on all night when radio was still a thing. Sure. Um, and I would leave the radio on. And I woke up and it was like 1 o'clock in the morning that that song came on. Uh-huh. And it scared the hell out of me. I bet. It's so creepy. It really when it is. gets to that bridge about the, you know, the you know, the beast and they stab it with their steely knives uh-huh. and they can't kill it. That is so creepy. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I love that song. It's, it's one of the best sure. songs ever. But man, I remember when I was a kid, it scared me too. So. Yeah. Well, she was telling me, you know, it freaks her out. And I was like, okay. And then the next time I listened to it and I was like, Oh, okay. You know, when you really do listen to it, uh, yeah, it is It is unsettling. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the Hotel Hollywood. So the first hotel in the city opened by H.J. Uh, Whitley. Whitley. Yeah, we talked about him a bit when we were first kind of talking right. about the history of Hollywood. Yes, yeah. right. So 1902, located on, located on what would eventually become Hollywood Boulevard. He keeps expanding it. Continuous stream of movie stars come through. Most of the people I have never heard of, except for with you and this podcast. <laughs> well, that's well, and that it was why. Okay, well, I could go through the list of who all those people were, but I will not. Thank you. Um, there are people who <laughs> will have heard of them, but that's why I did that episode about because they still make it into this episode. They do. Uh, Douglas Fairbanks and one, Mary, yeah. Mary Pickford. But that's why I did the bonus episode so I could explain who they were and people could see they really are as important as I claim they are uh-huh. as far as Hollywood history goes. Right. No, no, no. I, I believe you. I believe we, you. We do need her. You know, Renee Cruz had a good idea.
idea though about she does have those quite a bit actually oh, but she had a good idea about us maybe we should post some pictures of some of those people with I our know, episodes and and I, and and I passed it on to you and I and, but that's you know I said hey you know what I don't you know, if, if Cody has time, I mean, he does have an actual job and things, so he does what he can. But yeah, we probably at some point should Actually, try I'd probably just do, do like a gallery or something. You know, something, that's what I was you know? going to say. I, maybe I could put together some kind of gallery of some of these people and we could set up a link to it. I could put it on my yeah, website that'd be or nice. something. Why don't I we try, to, something try to remember to do that so that people could go and look and see who these people are. Maybe yeah. if I made a list... And then alphabetized it, and mm -hmm. then put up the photos. With, yeah, you know, maybe we could do that. Something so, like that. Yeah, I don't think nice. it'd be too hard to do. And I, I mean, so. and I look up a lot of these people anyway, so it's it's not like I should. Yeah, just no, save I, the know, pictures I know, I know, but I'm it's funny, it, and it is funny, and I do understand, and 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 actually, it's good that we do this together because I mean, obviously, there's an age difference, but also there is a you know, you're a huge movie fan too. But your your interests skew so much newer than mine. Sure, and while yeah. I love new stuff, I love all the old stuff too. Right. So it's easy for me to sit around and talk about you know Irving Thalberg and Gloria Swanson and all these people, and you're like, <laughs> right. who the hell are these people? You know. So I I told I do I do really get it, and I think that our listeners are the same way. I think we have people of my age and older and people that are closer to your age who have no idea what we're talking about, right. but like the stories. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do okay. about getting something set up. Nice. And then, okay. Mira, Myra, Myra Parker. How do I pronounce this? I'm sorry. Uh, Mira, Mira, Mira Parker Hershey. Okay. Yeah. And so that's something, uh, I noticed another comment that we got, or one of the reviews, it's like, they love the show, but uh, they're like, come on, guys, like the pronunciation stuff, it would take 10 minutes of research. And there's two things I want to address with this. One, uh, well, three. Well, half one, the time you do it on purpose. One, but, you're totally um, right. It would yeah. take two minutes of research. Two, um, like Troy said, I got the full-time job. Three, I do it on purpose now because it's like yeah. a, bit. It, well, it's a bit. Well, yeah, but remember when I did the research on how to pronounce that town in Kansas? Oh, right. And it, it, some people said it was Palin. Some people said it was Paola. Right. And, and it was like, so there was no way to win. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's why, you know. I mean, I get it with the, you know, I did with the New Orleans season, the French stuff. And uh -huh. Renee's like, well, why didn't you just ask me? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. French. And I'm like, well, because I look it all up and then the damn, you know, pronunciations were wrong. They were still wrong. I don't ever <laughs> so claim yeah, to speak just, French. Just bear with us. Yeah, um, but I just wanted to address you know, that. That's just the, ignore that and just listen to the stories. Yeah, yeah so. just, just ignore me too. Um, so eccentric millionaire spinster from Iowa, your yeah. words. Um, well, that's how she was described. Love the yeah. place and eventually becomes the sole owner of the Hotel well, Hollywood. But she loved the place because she loved the food so much. Yeah, yeah right? I thought that was hilarious. No, it's Particularly the apple pie. So she bought a hotel yeah i mean <laughs> oh, why not you, you know, know when you can't just money. hire the chef you know it's <laughs> it's you know hindsight maybe that would have been a good idea in 1909 carrie jacobs bond uh writes her then and no i don't song. know who that is okay so, okay, I, I, so we're good on that yeah the end of a perfect day I at just the hotel knew that it was I, i'm familiar with the song but i that's just all because i looked it up i totally just figured this was a song i hadn't heard but you yeah, love you're not and, missing anything no oh no no uh no. so eventually the hotel hits the tabloid so when john barrymore climbed to the room of a female companion from the garden the management ordered a cactus to be planted under the windows on the ground floor rooms to dissuade others from trying the same thing when that proved ineffective the ground floor windows were just nailed shut yes now john barrymore that would be drew barrymore's grandfather really that helps okay yes yes she is from a hollywood lineage mm -hmm. so well that makes sense then i mean yeah. and child yeah. star and all yes, that and how, absolutely how that she's one of the barrymores got it okay rudolph valentino had some drama there on his uh, wedding night yeah. uh, a, yeah. troy already went into that that yeah. whole thing um mrs hershey died in 1930 but the hotel was not torn down until the 1950s basically because the war got in the way yeah seems yeah like. i think that they probably would have torn it down sooner but you know they couldn't they wanted to rebuild there, but couldn't get any building supplies. Right. So many of the residents have been there for years. One woman, after 35 years, said, I don't want to go to heaven. I, I just a, want to stay here. What a great quote. It's so sad. I know. It is. But it's so sad. But what a great quote, though. It really is. I mean, Some, you know, if that hotel had still been standing, I'm sure she would have been a ghost. Oh, yeah. Of course. Hotel. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, something I wanted to ask you about, because we're going to get into this a lot more, but is it common for people to just live in hotels? It varies. Yeah. Um, it does vary, um, especially with older hotels. That was more of a thing mm -hmm. in the past. It now, now when we think about people living in hotels and stuff, it's and never I was a just, good situation. No, I just watched a documentary about the Wonderland murders in the early '80s, uh -huh. and John Holmes lived in a series of hotels. You know, like, oh no, I'm sorry, motels. motels. As we know, there's a big difference. Got it. And 
Um, that's what you normally think of these days or uh-huh. run down old motels and people can rent there by the week or the right. month, you know. Um, but but it used to be more, and we've it, and remember we were talking about the guy that built the Chinese theater, uh-huh. Grauman, Sid Grauman, who lived in hotels. It lived at the you know Beverly Hills Hotel for decades. So I think it was more common in the past, mm. um, and especially like in Hollywood and things, it, it would be like. Um, I don't know. It'd be like renting an apartment more back sure. then when, you know, apartments were maybe not as big a thing as they are now. I mean, I think you've always been around for a long time, but I think hotels, especially if you had a lot of money. Yeah. You had, you know, you had a maid all the time. That's you have to true. look at, you have to look at, you know, the, the cost breakdown there. What's, what's worse, you know, what's better, what's worse. Right. You know, you can live in a hotel and have room service and have your meals there and never have to leave. Um, you know, I used to hear a lot of stories about people who would get old and instead of going to a nursing home or, you know, a, or not maybe a nursing home, but like an assisted living place, yeah, yeah. they just check into a hotel instead huh. and it would cost about the same amount of money. They have maid service and foods right there. They That's can have not a bad service. idea. If you've got the money and for what it costs to go to assisted living, you might as well find a nice hotel right? because it's going to run you about the same and you probably get a break on the hotel, sure. you know, some kind of discount, right, you know, right. <laughs> okay. I've got a triple A card, so I'd like to move in for the next four years, yeah. you know? Okay, no, that that makes sense. Uh, In 2001, the Hollywood and Highland Entertainment Complex, which includes the Kodak Theater, the official home of the Academy Awards, opened on the site of the former Hotel Hollywood. So this next hotel we're going to talk about, the Oban? Oban. Oban Hotel. And I know we've we've mentioned this somewhere. And it's now called the Hotel Hollywood. They they changed the name of it as an homage. I started to get a little confused, but then I I realized. Uh, So built in 1922 on Yucca Street. Yucca. Yucca Street. is Where does that come Desert from? plant. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, for many years, aspiring actors stayed at the Oban and as they struggled their way now, to the top. some of these people surely you've heard of. Yes, yes. So, James uh, Dean, Clark Gable, Fred, Fred McMurray, Murray, maybe. Right. You know Fred McMurray? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Paul Newman, My three sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I actually kept all these this, people in these here. These people you knew. Because yeah. I, I kept these awesome. in here because I was like, I know these people. You know, this is the anniversary of Paul Newman. No, not Paul Newman. Um, this is Steve McQueen's death. Sorry, oh. I got confused. Okay, well, I know Steve Paul McQueen Paul Newman, too. Steve McQueen, both cool. Yeah, yeah, really cool. So it's completely remodeled in 2002 and adding at least two new ghosts, you mentioned. So one of the lingering presences in the hotel is that of Hollywood's hopeful Charles Love, a failed actor who was eventually settled for a props manager job and a double for a silent film comedian Harry Langdon. February 15th, 1933, Charles writes a farewell note to Landon and shoots himself. There's also an unidentified <laughs> woman that haunts the second yeah. floor hallway. So this is going to be a pattern and a theme that we're going to yes. go through um, yes. about pretty much Hollywood just destroying people and um, <laughs> yeah. killing well, themselves. I mean, and and we already it. have. I mean, we started out, I think our first episode was Peg Entwistle yeah, killing yeah, yeah. herself off the Hollywood sign. So, you know, that is a that is going to be a constant pattern. Yes. You know, and as we've talked about before, hotels, you know, you always find haunted hotels because of all the people who've been, you know, who've stayed there over the years and, and terrible you know, things have left that have things behind. Right. And, you know, in our next episode, we'll just run down a litany of everything that happened in one hotel. Yes. So, um, you know, I ran into that same deal. I was working on, well, I was writing that book about hotels that I did last year and I was writing about the Congress hotel in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I always knew it was haunted, but I'd never really done like in-depth research. So I just started going through all the years of the Chicago's paper. And there were so many deaths and suicides and murders in this one hotel. I mean like over a hundred, I mean, and it's like, I can't even list them all. There's so many, right. You know? So yeah, hotels and then you get into Hollywood, any big city, but then, you get to Hollywood where people come out there for such hopeful reasons mm-hmm. and end up with every dream they ever had absolutely destroyed, you right. know, and this is, this is what you get in oh, that situation. Gosh. You know? And we're recording. We have, I've made this joke like three times now, but we're recording an in episode. a hotel. Yeah. yeah we're at the hotel. best Western premiere recording um, an episode about, Haunted Hotel. It's so crazy. And yeah, the next episode's going to be even more depressing. But um, <laughs> we'll move on to the Hotel Alexandria. So the first luxury hotel downtown Los Angeles, uh, created by John Alexander, and cost more than $2 million. 
The hotel yeah, in yeah. 1905. Right, which is yeah. rid- a ridiculous amount do, of money. I should have done the math. I, I normally so, do. Yeah, but, I was going to say you do a lot. Uh, so the hotel was touted as, a fi- as fireproof and featured a massive lobby with tall pillars made of Egyptian marble, mosaic tile floors, and stained glass skylights. Uh, had a bunch of presidents stay there. This place sounds amazing. I know it, right? Actors and filmmakers like to stay there in the early 1900s. Um, I like this. The elevator operators occasionally pitched and sold movie ideas to producers, and the lobby became so crowded with aspiring filmmakers and stars trying to sell blockbuster movie projections that the hotel's large Persian carpets became known as the million dollar rug. What do you got? $29.5 million Damn. in today's money. Damn. That's what it would cost to build that hotel. That is crazy. Uh, the creation of United Artists, which we mentioned in one of our previous episodes, was announced there formally. The hotel changed hands a few more times. Uh, Nancy Malone and Lisa Mitchell were hired to give the hotel a new look. And then there are the ghosts. So let's talk about the lady in black, a woman in an old-fashioned black morning dress with a black hat and veil that kind of just wanders around looking sad and ominous um you had so you had a question here you said so do ghosts from different times see one another as they haunt the locations they once knew in life yeah that's interesting i just i just thought of that as i'm writing about these different ghosts and you you're talking about you know a woman who you know appears to be from the early early days of the hotel Mm -hmm. at least by the outfit she's wearing and then you're talking about hauntings in the and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's valentino because as we'll talk about when we get to the valentino episode Mm -hmm. this dude's ghost is everywhere he's the abraham lincoln of hollywood right um but you know and then you know they talk about a you know phantom dancers in the palm court or you know waiters in the palm court and dancers in the ballroom and you know uh little girls and a guy in 1920s clothing i mean if there's 10 ghosts in this hotel do they know each other i mean i'm not trying to be funny i'm really not i'm just wondering is there a connection between them i mean you know what i mean i mean it's i don't think it's like you know american horror story or something where all the ghosts like hang out you know right but do they see each other do they you know i'm guessing they must not maybe i mean do they even know they're dead well there's that and you know if if it's just and if it's maybe haunting that's just energy left Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a you know an intelligent spirit who's wandering around it may just be the residual energy of this woman in a morning gown who left you know a bit of herself behind in the hallway sure you know um so i would think no they wouldn't but you know since we don't really know what ghosts are not really um you know are is it is it us seeing into a different time you know getting a glimpse into a different timeline maybe and if that's the case then again they're not going to see each other because they're all different times so i don't know i was just curious i just it it just kind of struck me yeah i I threw it out there no i like that i think um i don't know i think when we first started talking about this we ran into a lot more questions like that and i think we've kind of drifted away from some of that fun crazy stuff that we can never really answer but it's fun to talk about so yeah i don't know let us know what you think you know tweet at us send us a message on instagram something I'm, i'm curious about this now um, okay, moving on to the we mentioned before, but the Valentino Suite. So, name for Rudolph Valentino, the most well-traveled ghost in Hollywood. <laughs> this ghost likes to slam doors, knock mirrors off the wall, and mess with the lights. Uh, author Craig Owens, who did a great book about haunted Southern oh, Cali- yeah, California beautiful. inns, it's such a great book. Yeah, I said he did a He's photo He's a writer shoot and there. a photographer, and he this book is amazing, and I recommend it to any to everybody. I've recommended when it came out; it was on my list of uh-huh. new books for the year. Uh, when it came out a couple of years ago and he's a good guy. He runs the bizarre LA uh, website and it's, it's a, phenomenal book but he talked about his experiences when they were trying to do the, what, what he does is he comes and he does photo shoots of the buildings but then he will get actors or models to come in and portray the people from different time periods oh, okay. he's got a great one about the hotel del coronado and you know and the and all that stuff it's in cape morgan and stuff so it's 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 a great book highly recommend it uh, but he you know has had some experiences and this this was one of them so Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So let's move on now to the Hollywood Roosevelt. So the most classically haunted hotel in Hollywood built in 1927 and restored in 1984. And that's when the ghosts appeared. Like we talked about before, a lot of these restorations and things tend to stir things back up. Uh, so there's a really weird cold spot that can't be explained. Um, a haunted mirror with Marilyn Monroe in it. Yeah. That's uh, that story has been around for a long time. I, um, I don't, see any reason to 
disbelieve it, although she does travel, travel a lot, a lot too. too. But this is this is as far as hauntings of Marilyn Monroe go. This is one of the main ones mm-hmm. is at, at this particular hotel. Got um, it. Because it's not just the mirror. She's been seen in other parts of the hotel, right, now too. She's all over. And uh, that sort of, you know, that's what really gained uh, this particular hotel. You know, the, the Roosevelt really gained its popularity is connecting it to Marilyn Monroe and then of course mm-hmm. Montgomery Clift. He's the other big right. you know ghost. He's the celeb the reason I said classically haunted is because when you think about Hollywood and you think about ghosts, you want them to be celebrities. Mm-hmm. And so this fits the bill. Sure. You know, at these other places you've got mysterious women in black and little kids. Right. And, but here you've got two recognizable ghosts. So it made it classic. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so this is just a quote. You said, as, as guests begin to arrive at the refurbished hotel, the staff was told of their encounters. They frequently heard complaints about loud talking in nearby rooms and voices in hallways, rooms and corridors that would prove to be empty. Phones were lifted from receivers and empty suites. Lights turned on um, in empty locked rooms. A maid was inexplicably pushed into a supply closet. A typewriter began typing in the middle of the night in an empty locked office. I wonder what it puts what, a bit of a date on that. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I wonder gotta what it's going to be the 80s. <laughs> I wonder what it said. Um, a man in a white suit who was seen by three different people. No play makes, I was yeah. just thinking, it's like fucking shining. Um, yeah, let's see. Extra bedspreads are hung on a rod in the basement, began moving on their own. A little girl seen playing in the lobby and vanished before the eyes of a staff member. Um, so there's just a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Strange shadows on the ninth floor, more weird stuff in room 928. I like when there's a room number associated mm-hmm, with these things. Yeah, you know? me too. I don't know me if too. it's very 1408 or what, but yeah. I just, I like having yeah. the. And you know, that's the room that's usually connected to Montgomery Cliff, too. And then uh-huh. there's that story about the woman that was reading in bed and felt a man's hand pat her on the shoulder. Well, he wouldn't have been doing anything else if it was Montgomery Cliff. Right. It would have been the husband that needed to worry. Yes. But yes. He was asleep. So, yeah. So, the, like you said, the room was associated mostly with Montgomery Cliff. So, on screen, uh, Cliff exuded an aura of vulner- vulnerable masculinity that appeared appealed to both men and women alike. However, his real life was filled with insecurities that were often too much for him to bear. His gradual deterioration was once described as the slowest suicide in Which show is, business. Again, a great quote. It really There's is. Some really it's great so quotes. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy, he's, he's a, it was, if you go back and watch some of the movies he appeared in, he is, he's really good. Right. This guy was a great actor. Uh, but, um, yeah, he just, Private life was just bad. Right. I li- but I mean, he's living in an era, and I I talked about this. He's living in an era where being gay was a career killer. Sure. I mean, Rock Hudson was a man's man. I mean, you know, um, and that's you know that was the way you had to come across. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in Hollywood in the 1950s, you could not. You know, you there were no openly gay. I mean, it was a with most people. You know, and other actors, mm-hmm. everybody pretty much knew. Sure. Everybody knew who was gay and who wasn't. I mean, a lot of actresses and actors would get married to hide the fact that one or the other or both of them were gay. And you just could not, You, you people weren't coming out in mm-hmm. the 50s, you know, and if they were... You know, I mean, even Liberace pretended to like women and come sure. on, you know, um, but you had to, you just had to, if you wanted a career, you had to. Yeah. Because I remember in the eighties when Rock Hudson finally did come out after he had been diagnosed with AIDS, you know, it was, it was a scandal, but not to people who knew him because they knew him. Right. You know? But he was the, he was really the guy who, and now remember this was the eighties, but in the eighties, this was the guy who changed the way that people looked at, you know, gay actors or just gay men in general, because mm-hmm. he had always been this, you know, adventure movies and stuff. I mean, there, and there's no reason why, but that's the public perception. Sure. You know, I think one of the biggest things that people forget about is that, you know, why is it that straight men don't think that a gay man can knock the hell out of you? Right, why why do right, they think that? Right. I don't understand. Um, you know, but it's a thing that even today, that kind of thing endures and yeah. I don't understand it, but that's just human nature. Mm-hmm. But I remember what a big deal it was, you know, when he came out and remember a close friend of his was also Elizabeth Taylor. Right. And she, that's how you know that so many people knew, but mm-hmm. 
just couldn't talk about it. Yep. You just could not talk about it back then. Yeah, I can vouch. I've been knocked out by all types of people. Well, yeah, no all kidding, all right? So, um, and I looked up uh, Montgomery Cliff, and he, he was gorgeous. Oh yeah, and, good, yeah, and very handsome man. And then, yeah. like I said, it starts to fall apart. Drugs, booze, causing homosexuality. Well, and you know that's you know, the drugs and the booze all came from the insecurity. Not over, over, not. And I think that not so much his talents, although I think he always had a problem. Yeah. worried about that. But it also came about because, I mean, here's a guy hiding the biggest secret in his life right. and has to and has to live that way, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it would have destroyed his career. Yep. You know, he ends up accepting. He said two roles without reading the scripts because he just wanted to work with Elizabeth yeah, Taylor. They were good friends. Yes. It's, so, and it's, smart. Plus it's Elizabeth Taylor. Of course. I mean, you know, right. Come on. Gets in a bad car accident. Elizabeth Taylor it finds him and pulls two oh, teeth out something? of his throat. I know. I thought, you know what? If anybody wondered if, if she was a badass or not, um, there's your answer. Yes. She finds him, reaches into his throat and pulls that out his ridiculous. knocked out teeth. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, and then he ends up eventually dying of a heart attack in his sleep in 1966. But when, when Cliff co-starred in The Misfits, both Clark yeah. Gable and Marilyn Monroe's final movie, Marilyn said to Cliff, he's the only person I know who's in worse shape than I am. I know. Another great quote. That is... Yeah rough yeah uh man that's that's all i have for this um uh just sad sad note to end on yeah um, it really is but uh it is now time for our ghostwriter segment so if you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre you can email us at american hauntings podcast at gmail.com this first one comes to us from i'm not sure how to pronounce your name Aja, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering that, but it's it says, love the NOLA series. It says, my girlfriend recommended your podcast because I love New Orleans. Uh, my husband and I are history buffs and fell in love with NOLA five years ago on our honeymoon. We've been back once and hopefully, fingers crossed, COVID settles down. We'll make a visit this January. I'm halfway through the podcast and have been to a few places mentioned, but now I'm taking notes and we'll be visiting other places and taking a ghost tour, something we've never had time to do in the past. Haunted history visits. tours. Haunted history tours. Um, I've really enjoyed the stories and y'all's commentary on at the end of each uh, story. I definitely plan on listening to the other seasons. Thanks for everything. Hope you're staying safe. Thanks for keeping our minds preoccupied during this crazy time. And he mentions he's a second grade teacher in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, cool. I don't know why I found that interesting, but hey, thank well, you. Well, because Charleston's a great haunted city. So that in itself is yeah. cool. So uh, this last one's from Heather. And it just says, all, all I can say is, wow, I just got into the podcast and you guys were the first one I found because I'm obsessed with anything paranormal. I absolutely love it. I listen to you guys the whole time I'm at work. I can't get enough. Keep up the awesome job. By the way, I'm from Missouri and I love the Exorcist podcast. It's the only movie that has ever scared me and it's nice hearing what really took place. I love that you guys tell facts and not just the stories that you've heard. So thank you very much cool. for writing in. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate it. And then we had a couple um, new um, supporters on Patreon. So I just want to give a shout out to Lydia, Christy, and Z Gang. So thank you so much for awesome. supporting the show yeah. and helping us do what we do. That's all, all I got. Right. Cool. All right. Well, I guess um, we'll say thanks for listening, guys, and uh, hope you would enjoy the Haunted Hotel uh, episode because I have two more <laughs> hotel <laughs> yes. episodes for you. Uh, sorry about that. But, you know, when the stories are good, you just can't stop. Um, so this did as I was working on these episodes though and thinking about I don't know how long this season's going to go mm-hmm. because I keep adding things um I was thinking about what I want to do next for the next season oh boy. and I was thinking about how it's going to crawl out even longer probably or as long <laughs> as this one but uh I'm I am really enjoying this season and mm-hmm. I, so I hope that you guys are too um so if you are you know share it with your friends re- give us a review on iTunes it's it's always cool to have them um yeah and it really is and I I'm shocked by how many we have and how many of them are actually good yeah that's always shocking and but, even, even you know. like I I don't I can't read all the reviews and emails and stuff on the show but I will tell you that Troy and I will share them back and forth all the time oh, we text do. each other yeah, about we do. them and we do yeah we really so, appreciate them yeah so guys thanks a lot for listening and uh we will see you next time around mm-hmm. and this episode of the american hauntings podcast <laughs> is written by troy taylor you always, produced and edited by me that you're gonna Beck. just stop the show airs every other week offering history hauntings folklore legends and the truth this as we look into america's darkest corners check out the website at american for show notes more info about the episodes and yeah, links we'll, to more we'll try to american get some hauntings of the pictures gallery some, yeah we're gonna yeah. we are gonna work on because American Hauntings isn't just a podcast. It's books, tours, events, and more. And our main website is AmericanHauntings.net. And if you want even more from us, you can be a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. You can get bonus episodes of the show, t-shirts, discounts, great stuff in the mail, and more. I even put up some new shirts recently. Yeah, and we Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I fun, like those. Right? They are fun. Thanks. Yeah, and my Morbid Curious show gets 
or a morbidly curious t-shirt gets a lot a of lot wear. wear yeah it's a good t-shirt yeah and thanks to our supporters we've upgraded our equipment for the show and with continued help from you we can dedicate more time and resources to creating even more shows in the future take a minute check it out we think you'll like yeah. what you hey, find we, at we, you got a whole week of American halloween Hauntings. shows thanks to the patreon yes. people so yes thank if you're not one of those people you, well you should be but even if you're not thank yep. those people because they're the reason you got a whole week of shows for halloween yes I well mean, that in the pandemic but I, still I we may in, now we have to do it every year i had so many uh, technical difficulties okay be sure to get in touch if you have any comments about the show suggestions reviews jokes or just want to tell us what you really think of us we're reach we're reachable via email on twitter instagram facebook and by carrier pigeon western union western union meaning, well you know it's a very hollywoodish kind oh of yeah thing. that's true union just seems like it should be listed so maybe i need to rewrite that but well you act you don't ever read it you look at like past episodes and read up from that i just do it when i update it you don't change it i'm so, always afraid you're going to try to trip me up and put something in there that well, shouldn't be in I, there i know i should be like, Actually, go that fuck would be yourself, really funny san diego <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah san diego yeah uh, until <laughs> next time goodbye so long see you later Ugh, that was fun